Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Ngozi Onoha. I am a primary care internist geriatrician. Welcome to my podcast. I'm the founder of Health for Niger for health education and improving health literacy and health equity globally. This podcast is only for education and not medical advice. The audio is recorded live and unedited. If you've enjoyed the content, please share with your family and friends. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to Health for Niger. My name is Dr. Ungazi Onoha. Today I have an incredible guest with me. His name is Dr. Obinna Oriaku. Welcome to the show, Dr. Oriaku. Thank you, Dr. Onoha, for having me. It's a privilege. I'm okay. a great fan. I'm a huge fan of yours. Thank you so much for following my platforms. I really appreciate it. So I'm going to give an introduction and then afterwards you can just add to whatever I missed. So you are the founder and CEO of Crown Clinic. And this is a primary care practice in North Carolina. You are also the founder of Socrates MD. This is a telemedicine platform for Sub-Saharan Africa. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to this conversation. So tell us a little bit more about you. And um, I'll go ahead and ask you the first question as soon as you're done with your self-intro. Okay, thank you. Um, a great intro. I, I hope your audience will like the content of this conversation. Uh, but to introduce me is to tell a little bit about me, right? I was the little boy growing up in uh, Eastern Nigeria, in a rural area. I started having difficulty breathing at age five or six. My parents didn't know what it was. We didn't have access to care. It wasn't until much later on in life that I was diagnosed with asthma, but I had suffered with asthma for several years before then. It wasn't until age 15 that I had my first asthma pump, and I had been asthmatic for the last 10 years. And at age 13, I had a near-death experience uh, from asthma at home. And I tell the story that as a child growing up, um, when kids were scared of the boogeyman under the bed, I was never scared of the boogeyman under the bed because I was facing a bigger boogeyman, which was the inability to breathe when the sun went down. As you know, as a doctor, um, asthma in childhood, in everybody, but especially in childhood, is worse at night over the nighttime hours. And every time the night fell, I couldn't breathe. And when I survived a near-death experience at age 13, I promise God that um, if I ever live to be an adult, I will make a difference. Wow, so, what a story. That that must have been so scary. And I just cannot imagine having undiagnosed asthma and living with that condition. That must yes. have been just a, a terrible experience for you. That, that it was, it was. And everything I do as a physician today is undergirded by that experience as a child. Um, 
I still get emotional when I talk about it uh, all these years later. Um, but uh, when I see a mother and a child with a child struggling with asthma, when I see an elderly woman, an elderly person, an underprivileged person who don't understand the health condition they have or the potential complications if they don't take care of it, um, the passion I have for the job is such that I can't let go until I make a difference. So that undergirds everything I do. That's why um, when I built my practice in Charlotte, North Carolina, I built it in an, uh, uh, it, within the city to serve uh, minority populations. Um, I remember the first few years of practice, the first year I built up, I, I set up a nice building. Somebody was asking, why did you put up such a, a nice building in this neighborhood? I'm like, why should it not be in this neighborhood? And, you know, I, uh, my primary focus is in minority populations. And all these years, I've always dreamt about and wondered how to give back to my country because I know out there in Nigeria, out there across Africa, there are children like me who still can't breathe at night. And it keeps me going. Yeah, that is one heck of a story, I tell you. Um, so so let's, let's get into the discussion today. Um, so the first thing I'm going to ask you is, you know, what is the future of healthcare in Africa? You know, you've you've told me your story about having undiagnosed asthma as a child, and I'm sure this is still going on today. Um, we know that um, primary healthcare is not very strong as a specialty in terms of the access to primary healthcare. So I'm sure there are still children who are you know, undiagnosed with asthma. So what do you think is the future of healthcare in Africa? Um, that's a very interesting question to ask Dr. Noha. And there are two ways to look at it. Um, you know, we can look at all the problems that exist, but at the same time also, we can look at the potential for, for growth and innovation in uh, healthcare in Africa. Um, a recent, uh, just to put in context, um, there was a, a study published that came out in October 2021 that looked back for a period of time, I think it was between 2016 and 2018, that 9,000 physicians left Nigeria in those two years, 9,000 to go to, uh, to see greener pastures. Uh, a recent study came out this month, earlier this month, the Africa Youth Survey 2022, uh, a foundation in South Africa uh, uh, published it. Uh, to put it in, uh, to crystallize, 75% of the youth in Nigeria are looking for a way out of the country. This is the future workforce of uh, for Africa. This is the future workforce. I don't care if it's in engineering, in economics, in healthcare, all across. That is the brain drain that is happening out of Africa on a daily basis. So if you looked at it from that prism, you would say, well, you know, it's this small, nothing, nothing good is going to come out of it. We are done for the end, everybody go home. But then on the flip side, the, the good news part of it is uh, there's a lot of innovation that's going on in Africa as well. The last two years I've been doing, uh, 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 heading out Socrates MD, I have come into the ecosystem of the technology and innovation that's happening in the healthcare space, specifically health tech, where people I people like me, there are lots of people like me using technology to bridge the gap in healthcare delivery. Similar to what happened 
two decades ago, if you, you and I are old enough to remember, when mobile phones became a thing in Africa. Um, prior to that, only a few privileged families had landlines, but mobile phone technology uh, brought in a lot of innovation. So telemedicine across Africa is beginning to do the same things that mobile technology did to help. Uh, the first innovation was mobile technology, then there was FinTech, again, based on mobile technology because the traditional banking system wasn't working. And now health tech is taking the same uh, route. So when you, uh, to answer your question, what is the future of healthcare? It depends on what prism you look at. There's a lot of challenges, but there's a lot of opportunity for innovation and especially harnessing uh, uh, brain power from across the world to focus on healthcare in Africa. Okay, that's um, really good. a good explanation. Uh, I think even with the COVID pandemic, we've seen a lot of advances in health tech. And not just that, I think with the availability of, like you said, the mobile phones, and now access to the internet, the sea cable that's been built. So I think Africa is really poised for, you know, huge things in health tech, I think, to come. So that's really going to be big. In terms of, you know, the youth wanting to leave, I think that the world is one global village. You know, that's how I see it. You know, when you do an MBA, which I know you have an MBA, and I also have one, you're, you're taught that the, the, the world is uh, just one global village and there's globalization. So because of globalization, people sort of are going to move from place to place for various uh, reasons. And it just may be that the opportunities uh, you know, better abroad, uh, educational opportunities and employment opportunities. So of course, people want the best for themselves. So I can't really say I blame them, to be honest. Um, I think growing up in Africa as a child, I always wanted to study abroad. That was such a big dream of mine to go abroad and study abroad. Uh, it was something that really um, developed, an idea that developed when I, when I was in secondary school. So I think, and that, I think that comes from just the influence that we have, the watching um, Western movies and um, you kind of see a different sort of perspective. So I can't really say I blame them for wanting to go abroad, either for school or to work. So... Yeah, I, 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 and I agree with you completely. It's, I'm shaking my head and smiling. I, for those that, that are not uh, tuned into your YouTube channel that will, will listen to this on a podcast, I'm smiling, I'm shaking my head because uh, I can identify with everything you've said because it was a, you tell my same story as well. After all, here I am in the United States today, right? And that's true, you know, uh, a young person wants to explore the world and, you know, uh, seek the golden fleece, as they, as I say. But let me put that in context. Uh, there's the IFC is a World Bank group. They estimated that in the next 10 years across Africa, need to develop, uh, to train and develop 90,000 new doctors, half a million new nurses, infrastructure distribution channels for pharmaceuticals and labs and all of those things need to be built within Africa to help bring up the quality and standard of care in Africa. 
So when you put that in context, if we need to train and develop 90,000 new doctors and half a million new nurses, and yet each one you train leaves the country, each one you train, or leaves the continent. So that begins to tell you the, the enormity of the challenge that we face. Of course, it is important that young everybody uh, explore the opportunity to better themselves and to uh, uh, get fulfillment in whatever line of work they choose to do. But the continent is facing this massive need that somehow we have to find innovative ways to meet those needs because those needs are real. Just like with all this brain drain, how can you reverse that power uh, where say I don't give up my uh, creature comforts here in the United States but I can make an impact within Nigeria because Nigeria is still my country to put a plug for my secondary school government college over it where I went to secondary school our motto was remember where you come from wherever you may chance to go that was our motto so even though I'm successful and comfortable here in America I remember where I come from I remember the people that are still there that maybe a little less fortunate than me or maybe out of a sense of patriotism or anything else uh, decided to stay home but they still matter and it's this they all should matter to us still okay so let me go into the next question and we may have touched on this already so how can medical personnel in the diaspora change the healthcare narrative in Africa. We've talked about the massive brain drain. Um, I understand that almost um, 33,000 Nigerian doctors registered in Nigeria are out of the country, US, Canada, Australia, UK. That's correct. So, so how can, and, and, and in addition to nurses, uh, we haven't added nurses in that uh, statistic. That's so. And other, you know, medical personnel, not just uh, doctors and nurses, but other medical personnel. So how can they change the narrative? How can, I mean, we're not just talking of Nigeria, we're talking about Ghana, you know, Zimbabwe. I, I read your article where you, you had a table with the uh, statistics of uh, foreign doctors in the NHS. And uh, I saw on the list Zimbabwe, and then I saw Nigeria, I saw Ghana. Uh, let me see if I can pull it up. So, so how can, yes, how can medical personnel in the diaspora change the healthcare narrative in Africa? Yeah, and to, to put a little more uh, flesh on that, uh, uh, on that, uh, the ratio, the doctor to patient ratio in Nigeria, this is a WHO uh, uh, statistic, four doctors to 10,000 patients. In the United States, it's 27 doctors to 10,000 patients. In South Africa and Egypt, seven doctors to 10,000 patients. So we begin to see the, the, the uh, deficit that there is. And then to answer the question directly, how can, what, what can be done? I think traditionally, um, the focus has been on, oh, uh, uh, I don't know, train up uh, local expertise, uh, build up a local workforce, to help uh, staff up our, our hospitals and healthcare services and all of that. Uh, but history, recent history shows that as we train, as fast as we train this uh, uh, workforce, they leave the country seeking greener pastures. I propose that a time has come where 
we need to realize that just like you said it's a global village and especially with the pandemic open as horrible as the pandemic was and you know it was horrible it opens some new opportunities where uh, virtual healthcare has become an acceptable form of healthcare, right? It opens opportunity where the policymakers and authorities and investors and uh, uh, charitable organizations can begin to say, hey, wait a minute, instead of trying to stop the brain drain, how can we harness the brain trust that is in the diaspora to channel back onto the continent? I think that is a very uh, effective next step to bring about uh, improvement of healthcare in Africa. I'll give you an instance. I, my professional organization is uh, Association of Nigerian Physicians in the Americas. We're an association of 4,000 members strong of Nigerian trained physicians and allied healthcare services, 4,000 members just in the States alone. And this is not the entirety of the healthcare force in Nigeria, uh, from Nigeria, but these are the people that belong to the association. On a yearly basis, we do a massive uh, uh, health mission to Nigeria and in between subgroups do other health missions. And depending on all the uh, other, um, we call para for uh, groups, right? Local groups, uh, regional groups, we send health missions to Nigeria, but to, I haven't participated in that. I've supported the missions. I've not participated. Why? Because I run my practice. Uh, it means taking time away from practice. I'm going uh, to Africa for uh, 10 days or two weeks. Some people can do that, but when you're self-employed, you need to show up. So the cost of doing that, the impact is great. It's massive. But by the time you leave, some of that impact is not sustained. So. Telehealth technology is a very viable uh, uh, alternative to give constant care, to translate constant care across geographies. And guess what? With the time difference that there is, right? You can be a fully employed physician here and before you go to work or after you come home from work, give healthcare in Nigeria for a few hours at a time and still go about your daily business. Uh, it is more, it's cost effective and it's just as effective as face-to-face uh, -face care. Um, a few years ago, doing a video consultation with you was possible, but today it's totally acceptable and people know about it. And it's a, I think it's something that its time has come and that the policymakers need to look into so that we don't lose the brain drain that is going out of Africa. Okay. All right, that's really great. So where can people find you? What are your social media handles? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Well, um, specifically for me, and so it doesn't uh, it doesn't seem like I'm just selling uh, myself and my product. Um, I'm embracing the, uh, the uh, health tech community that is in Africa because a lot of exciting things are happening in Africa. I'll tell you that I connected with the gentleman out of Uganda and I have a gentleman I'm talking to out of uh, 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 Kenya. And I'm, again, next week, I'll be speaking with another group out of Ghana. So the ecosystem is forming where people of like mind are coming together and saying, here's what we can do with Africa, even though we are living abroad. And it's exciting. Um, SocratesMD.com is my website. Uh, we actually have a downloadable app on uh, Google Play. 
um, on my web, my um, I'm on Instagram, Socrates underscore MD. And from, I'm also on YouTube, actually. I'm, I started putting out uh, educational videos on YouTube, uh, aptly titled The Minority Health Report with Dr. O. Uh, my focus and my specialty is always and will always be on minor, minority healthcare and bridging the health equity gaps in our communities. Okay, that's really great. So um, Instagram is Socrates underscore MD. Uh, YouTube is the minority minority health with Dr. O. And then Minority um, Health Report with Dr. O. My okay, Minority Health Report with Dr. O. That's right. And your website is SocratesMD.com. That's correct. Okay, so is can anyone in sub-Saharan Africa access the services that you provide through Socrates MD? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so being Nigerian, uh, we figure that uh, in, in business school, you're familiar with this, you know, uh, go to market strategy. We start local, right? Build some traction, but the platform is optimized to, uh, for the African market, right? Uh, it took us a while, it took us six extra months to optimize for a uh, uh, low bandwidth uh, environment. So yes, all across Africa, you can access Socrates MD. Um, we can download us on Google Play. And yes, uh, we're, we're still iterating our services, but we've been we've completed a, a successful beta test this past month and updating and upgrading our website and our app to be able to serve uh, our, our clients. We have uh, primary care, we have cardiology, we have uh, endocrinology, we have specialists special across the board that would uh, that are on board with us. That is great because you cover some of the most common conditions that are seen in Africa, uh, hypertension, uh, diabetes. Um, and so that is really great because those are those are good conditions to take yes. care of via tele, telemedicine. And, and excitingly, the uh, head of my physician advisory board is a world famous sickle cell expert. He couldn't get better than that. Okay, so you also provide services to people with sickle cell, and that is absolutely wonderful. So I'm going to have the the links to your website and your social media platforms. I'm going to have that in the show notes of this program. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming out to tell the audience about your program. I think this is really important. Um, especially for, you know, there might be people here living in the United States or in other parts of the Western world who have family members um, in Sub-Saharan Africa, and they may need access to, you know, good healthcare. And it's great that you're providing this service so they can download your app, Socrates MD. They can go on your website as well. And then you have a YouTube channel and you're also on Instagram. So all the resources are out there. Uh, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Riaku, for spending time talking to me on Health for Niger podcast. Oh, have a wonderful you. day. It's been an honor being here, Dr. Onroha. And personally, I want to thank you for having me on. Uh, like I said, I'm a huge fan of yours. This is a wonderful platform that you have to give voice to 
uh, all and sundry. It is beautiful. And I, I, I want to encourage your listeners to keep coming in and invite family members and friends to follow you as well, because I'm following you and my whole family will be following you as well. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for uh, watching my videos and listening to my podcast and sharing with your community, friends, family, your community. I really appreciate the support. Thank you, Dr. Noah. Take care and have a wonderful rest of your day. It was a blast. You do the same. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye.